This episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast is brought to you by your local emergency services. Because if you need the police, the fire department, or a choke slam from a really big dude with a mullet, all you have to do is dial 911. On the heels of our multi-episode champion series, where we celebrated the greatest wrestlers to ever hold gold, it's now time to celebrate those who didn't. There are six belts that are considered the major championships of the big three federations of the modern era. The WWF slash WWE Heavyweight Championship, the WWF slash WWE Intercontinental Championship, the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, the United States Championship, the ECW Heavyweight Championship, and the ECW Television Championship. The wrestlers we honor today still manage to establish legendary careers without getting their hands on any of these belts. Join us today on the Enhancement Talent as we unveil our top 10 wrestlers who never won a major Big 3 championship. All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez. With me, as always, one half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing tonight, Bob? Doing good, sir. How about yourself? Doing okay. Doing okay. Uh, you just came back from Disney. How was your vacation? It was good. It rained a lot. Yeah, we had yeah, you got some storms, so it was good times. Yeah, but now you're back home and everything's cool, so we are here um, recording another episode here. And with us, after a little bit of a break, finally we have back from beautiful, now officially, Cary, Illinois. Oh, that's beautiful to hear you say that. Yes. From beautiful Cary, Illinois, and also the uh, the president of the Paul London and Brian Kendrick fan club, <laughs> we have the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kalavik. How you doing tonight, Adam? I'm doing great. It's great to be back. I, I listened uh, to all the shows I missed. Everyone, you guys did a great job and um, great list. Some obviously were more consistent than others, and uh, but I enjoyed every show and. Uh, Really wanted to chime in. I was, I, I was, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> uh, I have no explanation for Kendrick in London, none whatsoever. <laughs> I was, I had to ask you. I, I was going to ask you like first thing. It's like, well, it's like you, you know, you you guys, uh, you guys hit it good in terms of. Uh, the, I, I need to find uh, where you guys find, you know, who defended against who, because yeah, I went for the length of the reign in that case, and when Bob ran down. Who the defenses were against them like number one ooh, i dropped the ball big time on that and number two uh, boy wrestling sucked right about then and i that's kind of where i lost interest so so yeah. but uh th- they were kind enough to help me move because of uh the the uh the publicity i gave them so so i got some heavy stuff up the stairs uh they were more than willing to help me move nice <laughs> as long as they were willing to do that you know yeah, so it all it all works out in the end. 
Yeah. And I, I, I think uh, just to chew on that a little more, yeah, they wound up ahead of the Road Warriors, and I felt bad about that. But then I then I decided, you know, I don't feel terrible about that because that's just how badly Vince used them. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> we're not talking about – yeah, in that particular episode, we weren't talking about the Road Warriors as a overall tag team. It was the Road Warriors – in the WWF slash WWE, and that's just a totally different story. But so. again, you, yeah, I, I believe uh, I'd have to go back and look, but I think uh, Kendrick and London had a longer uh, total reign of tag belts than LOD, which is absolutely pathetic. Yeah, they did. At least in the WWF, they did. So, hey, they were they were at that point. Like I said, I don't think any of us were really all that. Uh, interested in WWF for WWE at the time. And um, also at that particular time, the tag team division wasn't exactly uh, on fire either. So, hey, they found a team that they liked and they just stuck with them. So what, what are you going to do? Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah, I, I miss doing the show, so I'm, I'm happy to be back um, again. Uh, you know, we talk about all sorts of matches on the show. You know, there's – there's barbed wire matches, there's hell in the cell, there's blood and guts. Nothing is more intimidating or painful than buying a house. None of those matches <laughs> pale in comparison. So, uh, well, we had some bumps in the road. They're all done. So uh, 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 little puddles in the basement aside and yeah. uh, back, to, back to normal, I hope. Well, that's good. Well, we won't have to worry about you moving, hopefully, for another few years if ever so that that part's done so. I, i'm gonna be rick flair's age the next time i move yeah you're gonna Sorry. have to gonna have to hire the rest of the horsemen to help you move at that point but yeah but I, anyway i think tully could lug a few things for me he's he's uh he's been pretty dastardly lately nah he'll get ftr to do it but um but yeah so uh while adam was away we finished out the uh, our champion series, and what we're going to do this week is, since the champion series is done, we and we did that, we figured um, for our next top ten, we should focus on people who went their entire careers, had really successful careers, you know, legendary careers in a lot of their cases, but yet never won a major title in what we deem as, you know, the modern big three of professional wrestling. Now, let me explain this. So today on our show, we're going to do our top 10 wrestlers who never won a major championship in the big three. And when I say big three, I mean, WWF slash WWE, WCW and ECW, because as far as modern wrestling goes, um, we're, that's what we pretty much consider the big three of like the past 30, almost 40 years. Um, you know, we just include those three. I mean, when it comes to other federations like Ring of Honor or Impact, you know, they've been around for a while, but they never really had kind of like the more mainstream attention, I believe, to actually get included in this list. And uh, when it comes to AEW, they just haven't been around long enough to be included. So 
Um, we're just focusing on WWF slash WWE, WCW and ECW. And what we mean by major titles are the two major titles in each of those federations. So for WWF slash WWE, it's their heavyweight championship, which also includes uh, the universal championship, um, which is kind of folded into the whole, um, you know, heavyweight championship, you know, thing. Um, and also the, the intercontinental belt for WCW, it's their world heavyweight championship and also the United States, the, the U.S. championship, the United States championship. And for ECW, it's their heavyweight title and the ECW television title, which was kind of their version of uh, the Intercontinental Championship. It was their, their secondary belt. So all these wrestlers that we're going to name this week um, have wrestled in at least one of those federations, but never won um, any of those major titles. So, yeah, that's how what we're going to do. Our top 10 um, wrestlers who never won a major championship in the big three. Um, Bob, when doing some re- when you were doing your research for the for this list, were there any wrestlers that kind of popped out to you or surprised you as far as never winning a major championship? There was a few. Um, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, we all know the big names that, that come about because we've been fans for such a long time. And um one of them that I know for sure is not going to be on the list, but I'll use as a perfect example. Um, I always forgot that Luna Vachon never won a title. And I, I bring her up because we're only doing the men's belts. Um, but Luna Vachon wrestled WCW, ECW, WWF. And she was pretty much the face of women's wrestling for a very long time. I mean, she was long in the tooth when she would wrestle. But uh, she never won the belt. You know, Sable was the champ at that time, and WCW really didn't have a, a women's belt. Uh, so, you know, that was something that, like, I really wanted to put on the list, but it, it didn't go alongside with what we wanted to talk about today. Um, some of the names that we're going to talk about today, obviously, are the ones that a lot of people know about. And then some of them were like, oh, shit, I forgot that guy never won a belt. Damn shame, you know? Um, so it'll be a fun list to go over, um, definitely, for with regards to that today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Adam, how about you? Were uh, you know just going through this list? You know, were there? I mean, not anything specific, but were there? Were there like picks that like just made you raise your eyebrow and be like, "Wow, he never won a major championship." That's nuts. I uh, my top my top three without going into them, of course, uh, I spit out immediately. But <clears throat> looking deeper, uh, there were a few names that came up, and uh, one in particular. Um, if and when we get to him, um, I was like, yeah, that's, you know, someone who's been with WWE for a very long time, didn't get any belt. And I was like, whoa, I guess not, you know, so there was, yeah, there's one or two names in there. And I, I think too, um, in, in a couple of cases, you know, you know, we talk about Magnum TA all the time, how his career was cut short. Uh, there was at least one instance off the top of my head where, uh, injuries, uh, I think stopped, uh, stopped some people from maybe getting that, that title that, uh, they had enough momentum where I think they could have gotten a belt, but unfortunately, you know, injuries or, or, uh, personal demons, uh, got in the way. So yeah, um, it was, it was fun to look back and, uh, yeah, there were a couple that, that, uh, I didn't think of. So it was fun to do digging and 
come up with those names as well as the ones that rolled right off my tongue. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. Let's let's without further ado, let's get into it. Let's get into the list. Um, like we do every week, uh, all three of us combine compile our own lists, and um, based on where we put each wrestler on our list, are assigned a point, uh, a point total. And what happens is we compile the lists, and based on all that, we tabulate the results, and we have our master list of our top ten. Um, and like we do every week, uh, before we give you our top pick, we, are, we, we will go through our five honorable mentions. Uh, those particular picks are picks that didn't have enough points to make our top ten, but did have enough points to at least garner a mention. All right, so here we go. Let's get into it. Our top 10 wrestlers who never won a major championship in the big three. Let's start at number 10. Number 10 comes in with five and a half points, and they got that by coming in as a honorable mention on my list. They were number nine on Adam's list, and they came in at number eight on Bob's list. We're talking about JYD, the Junkyard Dog, coming in at number 10. Uh, Bob, we'll start with you. What do you have to say about the Junkyard Dog? Um, so the Junkyard Dog started wrestling in 1976, and he went all the way to 1995. So he wrestled for 19 years. Um, you know, he he was big in the indie section, um, like the not the indie section, but like mid south. Um, he was pretty big there for from like eighty to eighty four. Uh, he was actually the top face of the company, and one one of the cool things about him was he's one of the first African Americans to ever be like the main face of a company. Um, you know, because at that time everybody wa- uh, was Caucasian, so um, he was one of the first ones. What what always struck me about Junkyard Dog was this the energy he would bring to the ring, you know, the electrifying charismatic character that he had, the, the dog collar um, and the chain wrapped around his neck and the queen music blasting out. So he, he did win titles where he went, he was in WCW. He won the six man tag team belt there. Uh, he was in the USWA where he was the heavyweight champ. Uh, I mentioned mid South where he was the uh, North American heavyweight champ four times. And he was also uh, in stampede in Canada for, for, uh, two belts there as a heavyweight champ. But from 1984 to 1988, he joins the WWF. And, um, you know, he was pretty big there. I remember, you know, all, all of us getting excited for him when we were younger. We would be a big fan of Junkyard Dog. But he, he never made it to that top echelon, that top caliber, like the Hogan's, the Warriors, the Savage at that time. He was up there. He would get some, like, he was more of a mid-carter. He was a higher mid-carter, but he just never got that belt. Um so, like I said, 84 to 88, he was in the WWF. He fo- he feuded mostly with Harley Race and Greg Valentine there. But then 88, he leaves and he joins the NWA slash WCW. There he's feuding with Butch Reed. And then he gets a push against Ric Flair. So he's feuding with Flair for a while and Arn Anderson. Um, but then after that, like I said, he, he becomes more of a mid-carder again. And they give him the six-man tag belt. During his, let's see. Um, from the nine years he was in the two big companies during that time, he wrestled for the belt 45 times. He, he, the WCW heavyweight champ against Flair, he wrestled for six times and the United States belt, uh, against, uh, Dick Slater. He wrestled for seven times. 
the Intercontinental title belt and the WWF 14 belts or 14 defenses against Greg Valentine, 17 against Savage, and one against the Honky Tonk Man. I never really pictured the Junkyard Dog as a heavyweight champion in either of their big tongue companies, but as a U.S. champion or an IC belt, I could have seen him hold one of those titles. I mean, um, one of the times against Valentine, I felt like maybe he could have won the belt instead of Tito Santana during one of those reigns. Or the United States belt, um, he was big in 93. He was going up against Arn Anderson. At that time, Dustin Rhodes was the champ. I think he could have had a reign instead of Dustin. Um, but, yeah, it's just he was one of the ones that surprised me. Like, I never really pictured him holding a heavyweight belt. But, like I said, not one of the minor belts or at least a tag team belt. It was just pretty surprising that Junkyard Dog didn't have one. Yeah, because I, I always remember JYD as like a huge fan favorite. You know, yeah, you, you know, like you said, he was he was the guy in mid south there for a bunch of years. But when he came over, you know, like you said, he was a huge fan favorite with WWF. Um, you know, he was in everything. He had figures. He was, you know, in the the Hulk Hogan cartoon. He, you know, he sold ton of merch. Really over with the kids, but yeah, it just didn't translate into um into any kind of solo championship success uh you know but hey i don't know maybe you know vince didn't see what bill watts saw in him who knows i don't know i i always love junkyard dog and like you said you know if you weren't going to give him the heavyweight championship at least a run with the ic belt would have been cool but you know for whatever reason he just didn't get it um how about you adam what do you have to say about uh junkyard dog well, first thing I want to say is that I still have this thumb wrestler in a in a box somewhere. Um, nice. A lot of my other wrestling figures, and that's held up well over the years. So uh, him and the Iron Sheet came in the package together, and and he'd go over most of the time when uh, when they go at it in my house. But uh, yeah, I was a huge fan too, just like you guys. Uh, Bob used the great word charismatic, just uh, just lots of energy. Um, like like Tony said, uh, everybody. Loved him. I thought he was awesome. And he kind of stood out because he was African-American. There weren't a lot of African-American wrestlers then. Um, and I, I dare I say that may have been one of the reasons why he never got a, a belt like the, the uh, certainly even the IC or the U.S. title. And unfortunately, I think it took too long uh, to, for African-American wrestlers to get the respect they deserved. Um, again, he just brought a lot of energy, got the crowd going. Um, you know, wrestled some, you guys mentioned all the great, uh, feuds he had and all the great wrestlers he fought. Um, and fans are always behind him. Um, I'm looking at some of his info here and, uh, uh, in 1990 in WCW, he defeated a young man by the name of me, Mark Callis in 39 seconds. Uh, some of you may know him as the undertaker. So, um, again, he did, uh, you know, he, you know, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair is, is mentioned, Greg Valentine, all these legends, um, you know, so obviously, uh, yeah, he was talented enough to work with those guys, but yeah, he just, he just never made it over the mountain. And yeah, that was one that kind of surprised me. That, that was one I had to think about just, um, he, Tony mentioned that the cartoon, he was, him and Hogan were my favorite on the cartoon you know, just uh, one of the most popular guys. And I think, too, uh, probably what held them back in those days, too, is like no one was getting the belt off of Hogan. So that 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 holds just about everybody back. But uh, 
but yeah, uh, still greatly remembered today. And it's, it's a shame that uh, he didn't get a run with, with the, with the title because uh, fans would have been behind him for sure. Yeah. But as it is, Junkyard Dog comes in at number 10 on our list. He comes in with five and a half points. Like I said, at number 10. All right. Let's move on to number nine on our list. Number nine comes in with six and a half points. And uh, he got those points by being one of my honorable mentions. But he was up at number five on Bob's list. We're talking about Cesaro. Cesaro coming in at number nine on our list. Uh, Bob, let's start off with you. You had him at number five on your list. What do you got to say about Cesaro? So he's another one. He started in 2000. He's still going currently right now, so he's been wrestling for 21 years. Um, They've been mostly using him as a tag wrestler for the longest time. SmackDown tag champ twice. Rock tag champ five times. He was the United States champion, and that is the belt that we're talking about. But we made a clarification to the rules where we would not count anyone that won the U.S. belt after WCW <laughs> folded. Um, yeah, we're, we're actually going to honor it this time. You know, not my dumbass who didn't when we did that particular list. But, yeah, nobody in WWE, as far as their version of the U.S. championship, counts on this list. So then uh, he was also Ring of Honor tag champ twice. Uh, he won belts a lot of places that he went. Um, 2000, like he was in Ring of Honor from 2005 to 2011. But then 2011 is when he joins FCW. FCW eventually becomes NXT. Um, but it's there that uh, he gets into a feud with Richie Steamboat, who at that time was the FCW champ. And then they bring him over to SmackDown 2012. Uh, that's when he defeated Santino for the U.S. belt. He ends it up. Uh, he holds it there for almost 240 days, and then he loses to Kofi Kingston. Um, then is when they decide, okay, we're not going to really use him as a singles wrestler. We're going to put him in the tags. So, 2013 to 14 is when he does the Real Americans with Jack Swagger. Um, there, he's having fantastic feud with Los Matadors and uh, Cody Rhodes and Goldust. Um, then they send them back down to NXT and then there again, he picks it up. He has an amazing feud with Sami Zayn, which is fantastic matches. And then they bring him back and they give him a small push where they want to let him win the Andre, the giant Memorial battle Royal. Um, after that 2014, they put him back in a tag again. That's what he's tag champs with Tyson kid. Um, and that's the time when Vince McMahon is asked, why aren't you using Cesaro the proper way? And he comes out and says that Cesaro lacks charisma, he lacks verbal skills, and he's not reaching for that brass ring that he's supposed to, but he keeps putting him in tags. Um, 2015 is when you start noticing the crowd start getting into Cesaro. They, they start doing the Cesaro section signs, and he's starting to feud with Cena. He's starting to have great matches with Rusev, with Kevin Owens. Uh, but then he hurts himself. He, he tears his rotator cuff. So then he comes back. And they have him feud with The Miz. And what do they do? They put him in a tag team again. From 2016 to 19, he was with The Bar with Sheamus, which was a pretty good tag team. They won the belt several times. Um, and then they end up breaking it up. They get separated by the draft. You think Cesaro is going to finally get that push he deserves. And then they put him in a tag team with Nakamura again. And they, win the, they won the SmackDown belts. But finally this year is when they start using him as a main eventer. Um, he's had feuds with Rollins and Reigns so far this year. But um, he's one of those guys that has been with the company, like I said, for a while. But unfortunately, they're not using him the proper way. And you're surprised he hasn't even had a shot at the intertitle, like a run with the IC belt. 
when I looked into that, he's had one heavyweight championship uh, fight that was against Roman Reigns, but he's went up for the IC belt 35 times, uh, three times against Curtis Axel, one time against Wade Barrett, two times against Big E, 18 times against Dolph Ziggler, The Miz nine times, Roman Reigns once, and Braun Strowman once. Um, he could have easily taken the belt off of Curtis Axel back in 2013. And then, or when Wade Barrett was IC champ, the belt went vacant. He could have won it there. Um, Luke Harper, no, you know, no offense against Luke Harper, may he rest in peace, but 2014, he had the belt for no explained reason. Like they had no feud for him or anything like that. He was just IC champ. He could have had it there in that time. Ryback had it in 2015. You could have put it on Cesaro instead. Um, 2020, Goldberg had an unnecessary reign with the heavyweight title. You could have put it on Cesaro there. Um, just multiple times he could have been champ, but the company doesn't want to use him the proper way. So hopefully soon he gets that belt that he deserves because he definitely deserves it. Yeah. Like you said, it's Cesaro just seems like a guy who, you know, just so underutilized. He's, I don't think I've ever seen Cesaro give a crap match. You know, he's had plenty of opportunity because he's been in he's been in the ring with a lot of guys who are fully capable of giving a crap match. But Cesaro is just one of those guys who, um, you know, would be so at home, you know, in a federation that could just, you know, like you said, he had all those years in Ring of Honor and he was great. Mm-hmm. And then, then he comes over here and for whatever reason. Well, Vince said the reason he didn't think he was, uh, you know, charismatic enough, which I think is bullshit. Cesaro's plenty charismatic. You know, he he doesn't have a firm grip of the language. Cesaro, he he can speak the language just fine. Yeah, he's got an accent, but that, you know, so what? And, you know, and as far as his abilities in the ring, there's very few people on that roster right now who can top what he can do. So... Yeah, there's just I, – I don't see any reason why Cesaro hasn't gotten a, a chance to run with at least the IC belt. When, when you when you brought up all the all the people he went up against for the IC belt and you said that uh, he went up three times against Curtis Axel, I mean, you, you mean to tell me exactly. that he couldn't at least get over the, cur- the Curtis Axel curb, you know, at least once? That's just bullshit. Uh, you know, it just, it's shit like that that makes you so frustrated with Vince McMahon. You know, if you're not one of his favorites, you're just not going to get, you know, you're just not going to get the chance. And Cesaro clearly is not one of his favorites. You know, even recently, you know, Cesaro had that great match with uh, Seth Rollins. Was that at WrestleMania or was it, um, yeah, it was at WrestleMania, right? Yeah. That, yeah, the, the, he had a great match with Seth Rollins, and since then, it's just been crickets again, mm-hmm. you know? And what the fuck does the guy have to do? But And, I mean, we, we yeah. don't wrestling fans, like, if you don't like the way he talks and you say he can't talk, what do you do? You put him, you make him a heel, and you give him a fucking a great manager that can talk their ass off for them. That's what they were doing with Lesnar, because they didn't like the way Lesnar talked for the long time. Like, that's just the formula they've had for so many years, and you're trying to tell me you can't find a wrestler or, like, a manager to put up with Cesaro and make him, like, an, an amazing heel? Like, it could have been easily done, but no. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's obvious that the only thing Vince sees him as is a tag team is a tag team wrestler mm-hmm. because that's when he's had his most his greatest success. You know, be it with, you know, um, what's his name, Tyson Kidd, or with Sheamus as the Bar or whatever. That's where he's had his success is in the tag team division. But you know, it just he's such a great wrestler as a as a solo wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. If you put him, if you put him with a guy like Heyman, you know, like like you said, Bob, just a mouthpiece. How great would that be to have a guy who can work in the ring like Cesaro can and team him up with a guy like Heyman? Um, that would be off the charts. Well, but, he he was hey. with Heyman for a little bit. He was with them for oh, a few years back. He was, and then they just got fuck it. We're just going to take him away and and let him go with yeah. them. And it's just like wow. Uh, you know, but hey, what are you going to do? You know, at at this point, you know, there's really nothing he can do. He's been he's been toiling in WWF for 10 years now, and he's got, you know, yeah, he's been steadily employed for 10 years, but as far as titles go, he doesn't have that much to show for it, and that's, that's a damn shame. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there we go. Number nine on our list. Uh Cesaro coming in six and a half points. Hopefully, before it's all and sudden done, maybe he at least gets a run with the IC belt. He at least deserves that. But all right, well, let's move on to number eight on our list. Number eight comes in also with six and a half points, but they get the tiebreaker because they were on all three of our lists. Um, they were an honorable mention on both Bob and Adam's list. But they came in at number eight on my list. We're talking about um, a wrestler that sadly we just lost this past week. Um, we're, of course, we're talking about Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff coming in at number eight on our list with six and a half points. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So with Paul Orndorff. Um, Let's see, he, he, you know, he, he was one of the biggest heels of that uh, mid WWF uh, period. He was um, one of the biggest uh, rivals of Hulk Hogan in that prime time period. I, like I said, I'm, I've got WrestleMania one on in the background here, and Mister Wonderful was part of the this main event. He tag teamed with uh, Roddy Piper against uh, Hogan and Mister T. But you know, aside from like I said, Piper, and uh, you know, aside from Piper, Mister Wonderful was one of, if not the biggest rival of Hogan in that time period, um, and that got him some really big exposure. Mister Wonderful. Like I said, you know, for a while there, he was one of my favorite wrestlers because I, I had a soft spot for heels. You know, him and Piper and Jesse the Body and, you know, guys like that, Greg the Hammer. I, I, I love those guys growing up, you know, and just going into research here and finding out that a guy like, you know, Paul Lorndorf never had a run with the major championship really surprised me coming into it. Like The only real run he had with any championship as far as the big three is concerned is a 169 day run with WCW's television championship, um, which is not one of the, which is not one of the big uh, two of that federation. Um, But 
Yeah, I mean, he had a 169-day run with the television championship, and aside from that, the only real other real titles that he had uh, was also in WCW. He he held the uh, the tag team championships for a collective 94 days with Paul Roma in the tag team that was dubbed Pretty Wonderful. Uh, yeah, but um, you know. But that it's a damn shame because Mr. Wonderful, like I said, was one of my favorite heels. He was, um, you know, I've, I thought plenty charismatic. You know, he, he was not the greatest talker, but, you know, he definitely knew how to work in the ring. And, you know, he would have been a really great cowardly heel uh, champ. At least even, you know, maybe not as a world champion. You know, Hogan kind of had the, the – um, the market cornered on that in that particular time period. But, you know, I, I, I really could have seen Orndorff doing great things with the IC belt, but he never got that opportunity. Um, Adam, you had uh, Paul Orndorff as an honorable mention. What do you have to say about him? Yeah. First of all, uh, rest in peace to, to the legendary Paul Orndorff and condolences to his family and, and uh, fans and, and friends. That's uh Yet another sad loss in the world of professional wrestling. But um, my first exposure to him, actually, well, I, I, of course, knew of him from the WrestleMania 1 main event. But one of my first exposures to him was in the infamous stable uh, Dudes with Attitudes um, in WCW with Sting, Luger, JYD, as we talked about earlier, and the Steiner brothers. And I'm like, oh, this guy was in the WWF. He's pretty awesome, you know, kind of thing. And seeing him on WCW and... I was he was one I was surprised to learn he didn't win the title there higher than the than the TV belt because uh, you know when he was he had that short run in WCW he was a pretty top flight babyface and my my early fandom was in the uh, you know, my, the height of my fandom was probably the early nineties when I really got into wrestling and I remember seeing him even on uh, the ill fated uh, Herb Abrams UWF which is one of my favorite. Uh, episodes of dark side of the ring is the uwf episode that's that's the fascinating episode but um <clears throat> he was one of the flag bears for that promotion you know big baby face there and later on even the awf uh they had a bunch of retreads but uh, he was he was the champion there so you know he won he won some gold but never in the big two and uh, as you mentioned tony just very surprising because yeah in his wwf days he was a very cowardly heel and you know let's just face it it's just like a precursor to mr perfect when the fans hear the name mr wonderful and some guy's strutting around acting like he's the shit you're gonna hate him he's just like that guy in high school you know you you wanted to slap around because he thinks he's better than everybody else that was just uh you know he he had he had a good look to him and uh yeah he, he knew how to work a crowd and uh, yeah, I'm surprised just based on the high-profile matches he had in, in both uh, promotions that uh, he never got any uh, any higher than the than the TV title. Just uh, very surprising to me. Um, and of course, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned the tag team run in, uh, later on in WCW, and of course, he had that infamous fight with uh, Big Van Vader backstage. They got Vader fired from from WCW, so he was a tough SOB. Because if anyone uh, wanted to tussle with Vader back then. Uh, you were asking for it, but he held his own. So tough guy, uh, you know, major part of the wrestling business for about a decade. So yeah, surprising that 
even uh, no U.S. title run, no IC belt. That that was uh, that was one of those surprises to me. Yeah, and like I get. Sorry, I, I said he was one of your honorable mentions. He actually was number eight on your list, so that's how he got the six and a half points. So, my fault. Um, Bob, you had Paul Orndorff as an honorable mention. What do you have to say about Mister Wonderful? He, uh, I liked him a lot because, like you said, he was a fantastic heel. He could work the mic. Uh, he had a great physique to him. He could wrestle his ass off. Um, and when, when you look at it again, he was kind of surprised that he didn't get the, a shot at the U.S. belt or the IC belt. Um, he challenged for the belt 120 times wow. um, throughout his career with the WWF and WCW. You know, when, when the WWF, he challenged Hogan for the WWF belt 71 times. So you could tell how big of a, you know, uh, opponent he was for Hogan. The IC belt, he challenged Tito Santana 20 times and Savage once. Um, WCW heavyweight slash NWA belt 18 times, 14 against Flair, three against Ron Simmons, once against Sting. And then the U.S. champ, he went up against Sting once and Dustin Rhodes nine times. It would have been hard to see him as a heavyweight champ. Maybe challenge Ron Simmons in WCW. He could have gotten over that. Like we said, Hogan had the stranglehold on the WWF title there. But the IC belt, you could eat it. I mean, Don Morocco was the main uh, heel at that time going up against Tito Santana. Tito was an amazing face. He wanted someone great at that. Orndorff would have been a perfect foil for him. But at, the, at that time, they had him go feuding up against Hogan, but he could have went for the IC belt there. The U.S. belt, 92, was vacant when Rav- Ravishing Rick Rude got hurt. Um, he could have filled over for Rude there because Rude was a fantastic heel, too. Uh, I mentioned Dustin Rhodes again. He was a champ in 93. could have had the belt there. Duggan had the belt in 94 for the U.S. belt. It was vacant in 95. That could have been another Orndorff run. Or even for some reason, they decided you have Orndorff on the roster Let's give the the U.S. title belt to the one-man gang. Um, You know, these are all different opportunities that you could have had him as the U.S. champ, but you didn't. And, you know, it's it's just a damn shame. Yeah, definitely a damn shame. And like I said, rest in peace, Mr. Wonderful. You'll be missed. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff coming in at number eight on our list with six and a half points. All right, so we're at number seven on our list. Uh, number seven comes in with seven points. Uh, he got those seven points because he was an honorable mention on both Adam and Bob's list, for real this time. And he was number five on my list. We are talking about Rick Martell. Rick Martell coming in at number seven Adam. on our list. Um, Add again, of course. Um, you know, Rick Martell... You know, I was a mark for Rick Martell, you know, both in Strike Force and his heel work as the model, uh, of course, in WWF. Um, he was just a fantastic wrestler. Um, you know, in the ring, he was as proficient as you could be. Um, he, uh, you know, he had a lot of success um, in the territory days, you know, he all up and down, like in the NWA Pacific Northwest and NWA, Georgia, Hawaii, you know, he, he, uh, he was very popular, held, held a lot of belts, you know, tag team and singles. Uh, he got a run in the WWF there in the early eighties, um, and had some tag team success with Tony Gurea. Um, they won the tag championships twice, 
Um, but then he went away and he uh, ended up, you know, his claim to fame in the 80s was he was uh, Vern Gagne's pick to uh, head up the AWA there. Uh, he held the AWA Heavyweight Championship for for about a year and a half, from May of 1984 all the way up until December of 1985. He held the belt for 595 days, um, which is damn impressive. And, you know, eventually makes his way back to the WWF, and he becomes uh, – he teams up with Tito Santana. They make up the, the tag team Strike Force. They themselves uh, have a run with the tag team belts, um, again, for uh, about 152 days. Uh, from late 87 up until early 88. And then that's the heel turn. Um, and he has his run as the model. And, you know, I loved Rick Martell as the model. And he would he would go on. He would he would com- he would have matches for the IC belt, uh, but he was never successful. And, you know, to me, I always kind of got irked at that. I thought he would make a great IC belt champ or an icy champ um just you know when we talk about cowardly heels there wasn't much more of a cowardly heel you you can get than than the model you know the man responsible for spraying arrogance into jake roberts's eyes and blinding him you know that's he was he was such a great heel um but eventually you know ran his course and uh after that you know the last championship he had he had a a one pretty much like a one week run with the WCW television championship back in 1998. And then that was pretty much it as far as his championships go. So um, yeah, Rick Martel, he, I think, um, you know, like a lot of these guys we've said so far, maybe not uh, as a world champion. I don't think he ever got up to that echelon uh, in WWF, but <coughs> You know, I, I definitely think he, he could have been uh, worthy of being a heel champ with the IC belt. Because, you know, when it comes to the IC belt, I think the best heel, the best uh, champs, as far as that belt goes, were the heels. And Rick Martel could have been one of the greats. But he never got a run with it for whatever reason. So that's why he is at number seven on our list. Um, Bob. You had uh, Rick Martel as an honorable mention. What do you got to say about him? Uh, I agree with a lot with what you said. I mean, his, his run in the AWA was very impressive, especially, you know, at that time, Rick Flair, Nick Bockwinkle uh, were main champs there. For So for him to, to, you know, be the main champ and right the ship there, that, that was pretty impressive, especially for those 19 months. Um, I loved him as a heel, like you said, with, with the model, um, the uh, – the atomizer that we'd have the the turquoise sweater or the sport coat and the giant pin that said yes i am a model you know with the sunglasses i loved everything about it um i, I know you mentioned the jake roberts feud but i also love the uh the Shawn michaels feud where no one could punch each other in the face um that was a fantastic feud that yeah, he I had loved there it. um so it's summer again right at, in london oh yeah yeah, so again, that was another one where I never saw him as a heavyweight champ, even though he, he challenged Bret Hart for the heavyweight belt 11 times. Uh, but I could never see him as a heavyweight champ. But I see, I see champ easily. I mean, during that time when he was big at that time as the model, uh, as a transitional belt champ, they gave it to the Mountie. That could have easily been Rick Martel. Um, 
May of 93, for some reason, Marty Jannetty was champ. He could have easily defeated Jannetty. Um, September 93, at that time, that's when Shawn Michaels got pinched for the steroids. He, the, the title was stripped. They could have given it to him again as a heel. Um, you know, the, he, he, had, he went up, he challenged for the IC belt 11 times, Razor Ramon three times, Piper once, Bret Hart three times, and Don Morocco four times. You mentioned him in WCW. He did win the TV belt, um, from Booker T, but then he blew out his knee and that's what caused his career to be shortened. Cause after that, you know, he had to have major reconstructive surgery on his knee and he just decided to end his career there. But I mean, he, they, they expected him to have a lengthy ring with that belt, but he just blew out the knee and that was it. But um, like I said, he easily could have had a, a run with the IC belt, definitely deserving of it. He, he was fantastic. He, like you mentioned. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Adam? You had Rick Martel as an honorable mention. Yes, he is a model and he's also a successful real estate uh, agent also from what I'm reading here, which is good on him. Um, I wonder if he gives out free samples of arrogance when he has open houses. Um, yeah, well, anyway. I, I would ex- I would expect it if he was my agent. So yeah, definitely, I, I should have given him a call. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I'm 100 percent behind what you guys had to say. I, 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 it's 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 crazy. He was never the Intercontinental Champion because you know you think of some of the guys who who had that belt um, at that time. You mentioned you know someone like Shawn Michaels when he was a heel, just a cocky, arrogant heel. Um, and yes, I love that that whole match at SummerSlam where no one could hit each other in the face and they're fighting over Sherry. That was that was that was great stuff. And you rarely saw heel versus heel match, so it was very unique and cool. And then um, Mr. Perfect was another you know cocky uh, champion, Intercontinental champion. Rick Rude, another one. You know, Rick Martel fit the mold perfectly. He was just confident uh guy cocky and and uh pardon the pun arrogant and, and the fans just i remember booing the shit out of him at the horizon when he fought jake the snake roberts at a house show it was i hated his guts for what he did to jake the snake but but that was his job he just uh he, and he was a great mechanic in the ring I, I don't remember him putting on a bad match and i don't know you guys kind of hit it with cesaro earlier it's like it, it just seems like you know it somebody who you know it seems like you know basic that someone who who's such a good worker should have a run with at least the intercontinental title and i don't know what the deal was there with with vincent martel that he never got that chance because martel had that charisma that uh that vince claims cesaro doesn't have so it's just another one of those great uh wrestling mysteries but yeah the model definitely uh deserves his place on this list yep and there he is at number seven with seven points, Rick Martell. All right, let's move to number six on our list. Number six comes in with eight points, and he got those points by being number 10 on my list, and he was number four on Bob's list. We're talking about Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe coming in at number six on our list with eight points. Uh, Bob. You had him at number four on your list, so let's start with you. What do you have to say about Samoa Joe? He's another one that they just dropped the fucking ball on him big time. Um, started off in 99, still current right now, 22 years in the business. Uh, first ever NXT champ twice, uh, held the belt two times. Uh, WWF US champ two times. Again, we're not counting that. 
TNA X Division champ five times, tag champ in TNA, heavyweight champ in TNA, Ring of, War- Ring of Honor world champ. Um, you know, from 2002 to 2008, he's in Ring of Honor making the names for himself. He's feuding with CM Punk, Daniel Bryan. You've mentioned those matches between Punk and Joe in the past. They were amazing. Uh, 2005 to 2015, he's an impact. Uh, he starts off 18 months undefeated. He's just a monster. Um, they knew how to use him. They used him the proper way he should have been used, and he's shooting with all the top names, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Kurt Angle, uh, Sting, you know, Jeff Jarrett, everybody that could go in his way, and then finally the WWF gets their hands on him. So they bring him to NXT, in 2015, he wins the Dusty Memorial Tag Team Classic with Finn Balor, and then he turns on Balor. Again, great matches between the two. So they finally bring him up to the big show on Raw. He's feuding with Rollins. He's feuding with Lesnar. He's feuding with Reigns, AJ Styles. You're like, okay, you know, he's getting the, the big names he should be getting. Um, and then in 2019, they give him the U.S. belt. He, he beats R-Truth for it. And he loses it to Rey Mysterio. And when you see someone the caliber of Samoa Joe lose to Rey Mysterio, it kind of just deflates the balloon for you, you know? Uh, the second time, he loses it to Ricochet. And that's another one where it's just like, okay, Samoa Joe should be a monster. Like, he should not be touched. And you're having him lose to Ricochet. No slight on Ricochet. I love Ricochet. But it just, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't do good for Samoa Joe's character. Um, then he starts getting, he gets injured. He starts doing the commentary. He gets popped for the roids and then they let him go. And then they just recently brought him back. Um, so Mojo challenged for the WWF heavyweight title 52 times, AJ Styles, 37 times, Lesnar, five times, Kofi Kingston, five times, uh, Daniel Bryan, five times. He went up for the IC belt three times, one against Rollins, two against Roman Reigns. Easily could have been IC champ, easily could have been a heavyweight champ, either or. Especially when you had Lesnar as your part-time champ, you could have just taken the belt off of him. You could have had Joe run in the belt because he was actually wrestling at that time. The guy's a fantastic wrestler. He's a fantastic heel. He could work his ass off on the mic. Um, you know, the Kofi Kingston, uh, when he was a champ, you could have had Joe take the belt off of him instead of Lesnar. Uh you could have given him the IC belt, like I said, instead of the U.S. belt. Just just a damn waste of a, a perfectly talented character. So I had to put him on my list high. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I Like you said, it's just such a wasted opportunity. I mean, I kind of liked how they handled him when they called him up from NXT. Um, you know, just, yeah. just total badass. You know, not intimidated by anybody. He went right up to guys like Lesnar and be like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I don't give a shit how big you are. I'm going to kick your ass. Stuff like that. You know, I love that in Samoa Joe. Just a total Samoan badass who doesn't care who you are. He's going to come after you. And, you know, of course, he had, you know, his most uh, successful run in uh, in TNA. Uh, but I was just, you know, when he finally came over, I was like, okay, here we go. Samoa Joe, he's a little bit up there in age, but he could still work. He could still give them, you know, at least a, you know, a good period of, you know, and yeah, he just, he's another one who just got lost in the shuffle. You know, I, I know injuries had a lot to do with it. I know he's still under some kind of concussion protocol and, you know, he's not 
cleared to wrestle. Um, but even still, man, it's when he was wrestling, they weren't utilizing him the way they should either. You know, you have one of the best wrestlers in the world, no matter what federation, and you're relegating him. I mean, yeah, sure, you're giving him championship shots, uh, but you're not giving him a run. And that's, I don't know. It was just, you know, when you have a guy like Samoa Joe who can do what he can in the ring, he's proved it time and time again. Um, all through his career, Ring of Honor, Impact, up into NXT, you know, why not just bite the bullet and just give him a run with the belt? What the hell? What do you got to lose, really? You know, but exactly. I, I think, I think, you know, Joe is the kind of guy he, you know, if you have any worries about him getting over with the crowd, you know, just look at his entrance in WWF. When his music hits, the crowd goes ape shit. You know, they love mm-hmm. they love Joe. But again, another thing with Vince, just not not pulling the trigger on him. So my the, my question <laughs> is, you know, I remember when uh, you no, know, he was a big deal in Impact, obviously for a long time. And I remember WWF signed him. There was a lot of excitement in the air. Why did he go to the developmental territory? Why didn't he go right to the big show? I I, I never understood that. Does anyone can anyone shed some light on that? Well, they were they were doing a lot. They were doing that a lot when this was when NXT was like at its at its high point, you know. So you had guys like you know Finn Balor, who you know who used to be Prince Devitt, who had a really good run in in uh in Japan, and you know had made waves, and they ended up bringing him there first. They bought Zam- Sami Zayn there first, you know. They just yeah. They the same thing with them. It was just they felt that you know in order to wet the fans' appetite they, at that point, they were going to put them in NXT first. They don't seem to be doing that as much anymore. Um, you know, if they sign a big name, usually they just take them straight to the to the main roster instead of giving them uh, some seasoning in NXT first. But yeah, I think that was pretty much their their uh, their thinking is that to get them acclimated to, to WWE audiences and, you know, NXT at that point was, you know, popular enough for them to get away with that, to just put them on NXT first. And then when they get, you know, how, you know, when they get over enough, I guess that's when they would, you know, take them over, you know, like you said, with Owens and Rollins too, they, they did the same thing. So, yeah, it wasn't just him. They did it with everybody around that period. So, I'm old school. If you're a big name, uh, I think they should start on the big show immediately. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> it's my opinion. Can't be wrong. As Jim Cornette would say. Yeah, but hey, Samoa Joe. I mean, he's back. He's back in the league now. He's not wrestling. He's like the. He's uh, William Regal's enforcer, I guess, on uh, on NXT right now. But we'll see what the future holds. Maybe he does have a, a title run in his uh, in his future if he ends up getting back in WWE. You never know. Who who knows? But I I would like to see that. And here's open. But until that point, we got Samoa Joe at number six on our list with eight points. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right. Well, we're in the top five now. And at number five, we have a tie. 
We have a tie at number five. Both uh, both wrestlers coming in at 14 points. Uh, we'll start with our first wrestler here. Um, let's see. He got the 14 points by being number six on my list, number nine on Bob's list, and he came in at number four on Adam's list. The loose cannon himself, Brian Pillman, coming in in a tie at number five with 14 points. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. What do you have to say about Brian Pillman? Well, we've talked a lot about Brian Pillman on, on different shows, but um, again, I'm just going to reiterate the point that I think Brian Pillman was a guy who was ahead of his time, um, especially when you when you consider the loose cannon gimmick. Uh, but even, even before that, I mean... Obviously, everyone knows the beginning of Brian's career in WCW. He was he was a high flyer. He had great matches with guys like Jushin Liger for the light heavyweight belt, and you know it was just so exciting to watch in the ring. Um, and and Tony, I I heard you guys talking on on the last show about a guy like Jungle Boy, who's again a small small guy, but I mean you know look at the match he put on with Kenny Omega a couple of weeks ago. Um, small but can move and, and just knows how to work in the ring. Those kind of guys back then were not considered championship material, sadly. Um, you know, it's it's a lot easier to get over now um, if you're a smaller guy. But back then, Pillman was kind of hampered by that. But, I mean, always a, sh- a show stealer, um, any match he put on. Then his time evolved, and, and uh, you know, he joined the Hollywood Blondes and kind of developed more of a heel character and, of course, with this loose cannon um, gimmick in WCW and ECW and WWE, uh, again, it was just it was unlike anything anybody had seen at the time. Uh, just you know, you didn't know if it was a work or a shoot. Uh, people backstage didn't know if it was a work or a shoot. Fans didn't know. Uh, it was just so revolutionary, so ahead of its time, um, and. Obviously, you know, I, I alluded to earlier in the show how injuries can, can affect these things. And unfortunately, that, that might have been the case with Brian Pillman. He was tailor-made for the Attitude Era. Um, you know, everyone remembers the infamous Pillman's Got a Gun uh, episode of Raw, which at the time, I want to say it was 96 that that, that was taking place. And, and Vince McMahon had to go on tv the next week and apologize for the angle because it it was too realistic but then just a year later that's what wwf prided themselves on being more realistic being more adult oriented than wcw um and it probably would have played better just a year or two later but by you know late 1997 pillman had already passed away because you know he had that terrible car accident and he was never the same after that he couldn't he really couldn't be in the ring. He forced himself to be in the ring and, and just was in a lot of pain. And obviously that helped lead to his death. But, um, but again, it just, all those years in WCW, I just, it surprised me. You know, he had a run with the horseman towards the end of his tenure too. And never, never won a major title with all that personality, with all that in-ring ability. Um, I just, I would have to say it's his size and, just people were not sure what to do with him, but he was just so revolutionary. And, and I think he kind of paved the way for a lot of that attitude era and, and uh, you know, realistic style of uh, character. Um, so that's why he ranked so high on my list. He was just ahead of his time, I think, uh, but there's no reason why he shouldn't have won at least that IC belt or U S title somewhere. 
Yeah. Well, like you said, I, I mean, when you say ahead of his time, I totally agree with you. He was, you know, great high flyer. If he would have been in his prime, I'd say probably about five years later, he would have been right in that comfort zone, you know, because by the time ECW came around, yeah. you know, he was, you know, already suffering from injuries and he really wasn't peak form you know, anymore at that point. Uh, I think he would have been, you know, if he was still flying Brian, but only with that darker, loose cannon edge, he would have been right at home at ECW. Um, really? You know, and uh, same goes with WWF. You know, when he came in and became part of the, the Hart Foundation, you know, he was just such a really good worker, you know, and, you know, great heel and a great face. When he was uh, flying Brian, you know, really over with the fans. You know, if you go back and watch all those old WCW pay-per-views with him in it, you know, he was one of the most over guys as far as baby faces go. And then he uh, switches and becomes heel when uh, he tags up with Austin, uh, Hollywood Blondes, and he's just as entertaining as a heel, if not more so, than he was as a baby face. Just such a versatile talent, you know, and... You know, just a damn shame that he that he died so young because I think he had a lot more in the tank. And you know, it's really cool to see his son excelling right now in AEW. You know, it's you know just kind of cool that for the Pillman, uh, you know, legacy to live on in his son. So, uh, Bob, you had uh, Brian Pillman at number nine on your list. What do you have to say about him? I think you hit it on the head with, with the ECW comment that you made, um, you know, the athletic ability, the aerial skills, you know, he was Lucha, he was using a lot of Lucha Libre style wrestling at that time when a lot of Americans weren't. Um, I never saw him as a heavyweight champ. I just never did. But, um, you know, he challenged for it seven times. He went up in WCW against Flair six times, Luger once. But uh, I think he could have had a, a reign with the U.S. belt easily. Um 11 times he challenged for it. Luger was champ six of those times. Rick Rude, Austin three times. Sting once. Um, if he would have been healthy in the WWF when he was there, like you said, with the Hart Foundation, at that time your champions were Goldust twice and Mark Merrill once. You know, he could have easily been IC champ during that time. During the time when he was healthy with WCW towards the end, um, Again, Dustin Rhodes was a champ twice. He could have easily gotten the belt off of him. I mentioned the one-man gang was champ once. He could have had it over instead of him. Our boy Conan was a champ. Why he had the belt instead of someone talented like Brian Pillman. And then at one time, Flair vacated the belt. Flair vacated the belt, and they had a tournament. The end of the the person who ends up winning the tournament for the for the belt is Eddie Guerrero. And then I started thinking. If you had Brian Pillman at that time and Eddie Guerrero and what we know of him now, like, could you just imagine the money that could have been made in the instant classic matches between those two feuding over the U.S. belt? It's just like WCW dropped the ball big time on that one. It's just like, wow. But easily could have been, like I said, U.S. champ, but just never given the opportunity. And like Adam said, his career was cut short. He only wrestled for 11 years. But what could have been with him? What could have been, you know, yeah, exactly. very, very special. Very, very special. And he comes in at in a tie at number five on our list with 14 points, Brian Pillman. All right. Well, the person he's tied with, like I said, also comes in with 14 points. And he got those points by being 
number seven on both my list and Bob's list, and Adam had him at number five. We're talking about Ray Trailer himself, the big boss man, coming in in a tie with Brian Pillman at number five with 14 points. Adam, I'll let you do the honors since I know he's your boy. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about the big boss man. Uh, big boss man, um, you know, we've been bagging on Vince quite a bit um, this show, and, and rightfully so in a lot of cases, but um, Vince McMahon is the reason for the big boss man's success. Um, obviously, you know, he got his start in um, in NWA, you know, doing a bodyguard gimmick, but um, he comes into WWF and makes an immediate impact. Uh, I, I can remember him attacking Hogan. Um, in a police outfit, beating him with a nightstick. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's a badass. Like, like, I was legitimately scared of the guy when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, man, I'll, I don't know how Hulk's going to beat this guy. Um, so he, he made a big impression on me early um, with his heel work. And, of course, uh, Twin Towers were were pretty uh, good tag team. You know, the uh, one of the great U.S. champions, the one-man gang, was a part of that also when he was Akeem. Um, and, and they were, I remember them feuding, uh, with a lot of teams and the mega powers in particular on Saturday night's main event, just made a big impression with me as a heel. And then, um, after a couple of years, uh, they decided to switch gears and, and make uh, boss man, a good guy. Um, he got in the middle of the Ted DiBiase, Jake, the snake Roberts feud and, uh, wouldn't take DiBiase's money. Uh, so, uh, he turned face and, um, I, I would argue, besides because uh, Savage was a heel at the time, I argue that uh, behind Hogan and Warrior, I think the boss man was the the most uh, over face in the company at that point. Extremely popular, and um, you know he he was in a lot of interesting high profile feuds with uh, with our boy the Mountie, and and uh, you know in I think they had a jailhouse match or something at, at SummerSlam. They created a lot of matches for Boss Man. Uh, then he had a nightstick match with nails later on down the road. But the, um, I remember him challenging Mr. Perfect for the IC belt at WrestleMania 7 and thinking he was going to win it. But he, I think he won by DQ. Um, but, you know, he was, he, was always in, he was always in the main event picture. But, yeah, just one of those who never, who never got the belt. The, the best he did uh, was, was winning the hardcore belt about 800 times, I think, in the infamous Al Snow and Pepper feud. Um, and, and a few other times, and he won the tag belts with Ken Shamrock for a cup of coffee. But uh, yeah, uh, Bossman wound up going to WCW after that. Uh, had some high-profile feuds uh, with Vader when uh, they changed his name about five times from Boss to the Man to the Guardian Angel, and then they finally just went with Ray Trailer and Big Bubba Rogers. Uh, but he was in some high-profile feuds too with uh, with the NWO. And then uh, when his WCW run ended, he uh, he came back as Vince McMahon's bodyguard, was one of their their best heels, and of course everyone remembers uh, his heartfelt poem about the Big Show's departed father and and uh, you know driving away with Big Show's father's uh, casket with Big Show uh, riding on top of it, <laughs> you know, just dastardly and. <laughs> And had a lot of the heat, a lot of heat with the fans, and um, he was just so much fun for me to watch. So you know, I have a soft spot for him. Um, again, I don't know if he's necessarily world 
championship material, but again, he had he had several world title matches. You know, he fought Hogan, and then you know he, he had the title match with the Big Show, um, in that Attitude Era. So um, he was just a reliable hand. He he moved very good for a big man, especially when he came back in uh, the late '90s to the WWF. He slimmed down and moved around the ring pretty good, and and all that. And he just he had this tough guy thing going, and and uh, you know, I would have loved to see him uh, win the Intercontinental title, or I think at WCW could have won the U.S. title. We've kind of gone over some of the illustrious title holders they had at the time. So, um, just whether he's a heel or a face, uh, he made an impact with the fans. So, um, I'm, it's too bad he didn't get to win the title while he was around. Yeah. How about you, Bob? You had a uh, boss man number seven on your list. What do you got to say about him? Yeah, Adam mentioned a lot about him. I mean, I uh, I was a fan of the big boss man character as a heel, um, you know, in the in the WWF in the early days, as well as uh, you know the later days when he came back as a bodyguard for Vince. Um, I was very surprised when I did the research. He, he actually challenged for the WWF heavyweight title fifteen times, and I was like, damn, I, I never really picture the boss man and the, the heavyweight title picture that much but you know he, he challenged hogan once savage once austin he challenged three times Foley three times the rock and then the big show six times um 14 times for the ic belt mr perfect adam mentioned that was 12 times he also went up against edge and ken shamrock the wcw world title he got one against hogan the nwa world title he had one against ronnie garvin and then the U.S. belts four times, uh, Kurt Henning once, and then Conan three times. Uh, I thought they dropped the ball because at that time he was feuding with the Mountie, who was the IC champ. You could have easily given them the IC belt, but instead they ended up giving it to Piper, which, again, there was no really big storyline at that time for Piper to win the belt. Um, they just threw him in there and he won the title against the Mountie, whereas the Mountie and the boss man were feuding together, you know, and it's just like, okay, th- that was one they dropped the ball easily on. Uh, the U.S. belt was vacated in 93. At that time, Bossman is feuding with, you know, ravishing Rick Rude and Vader. You could have given him the title there. Uh, Duggan, again, I mentioned before, 94, he's champ. Uh, Conan in 96, the one-man game, all, all these multiple chances you had at giving him the U.S. belt. You know, he was a good hand, like Adam mentioned. Definitely good wrestler, and that's what you want as a U.S. champion, someone that can, you know, represent the company well. So, again, ball dropped on the big Bossman. Yeah, definitely. I I could have seen him, you know. There's a, a few guys like we said. It's like ah, I don't see him as a world champ. I could have seen the boss man as a heel transitional champion, you know, something somebody to drop the like Hogan to drop the belt to under like some kind of shenanigans or something. It doesn't work for me, brother. Yeah, <laughs> but then I like agree, when, yeah, but then like win the belt back, you know. A short time later, you know, I, I, you know, in his heel heyday, I thought the the boss man definitely could have been a kind of guy like that. But, you know, yeah, for whatever reason, he just was not, you know, it just wasn't in the cards for him, which sucks because for a big guy, you know, he can move in the ring. He was great. I, I love the boss man. So, yeah, damn shame he didn't never got a shot with the major title. And he definitely earns his spot on this list at number five. Tied with Brian Pillman, we have the big boss man with 14 points. All right, let's move to number four on our list. Number four on our list comes in with 16 points, 
And they got those points by being number seven on Adam's list, number six on Bob's list, and he came in at number four on my list overall. We're talking about the king of Memphis wrestling, Mr. Jerry Lawler, coming in at number four on our list with 16 points. Um, Yeah, I'll start. I mean, Jerry Lawler, I think, definitely has the distinction of being the most decorated wrestler to never win a major championship in the big three. I mean, just the amount of championships this guy has won throughout his career is mind-boggling. I mean, just start with, you know, the the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship belt. He held he had 51 runs with that belt. 51 for a grand total of 1411 days. That's ridiculous. He had uh let's see what else he had. He had he had 27 run 27 uh, runs with the USWA Unified World Heavyweight Championship for a total of about 1,758 days. He had, uh, you know, multiple tag team championships. He had um, five runs with the NWA Southern Junior Heavyweight Championship. He had, you know, what else did he have? Uh, three runs with the AWA International Heavyweight Championship. Four runs with the Memphis Southern Heavyweight Championship. You know, and then, you know, he also had, uh, you know, six runs with the USWA Tag Team Championship. 20 runs with the AWA Southern Tag Team Championships. The guy had gold just falling out of his ass. He, he was... You know, when they called him the king, it just wasn't a name. He actually was the top territorial guy out there. But then when he comes over, you know, and comes to WWF slash WWE, sure, he's at the tail end of his career, you know, and he's most he's known mostly for, you know, being a commentator than a wrestler. But he did have a period where he was an in-ring guy and. I'm really surprised that Vince didn't pull the trigger and give him a run at least with the IC belt or something, especially with that feud, you know, I mean, that feud he had with Bret Hart, why not give him a run with the heavyweight championship, you know, make Lawler a cowardly heel champion. I mean, just look at the guy with how many championships he's won. Why not give him a run with your belt? You know, shit, he's won. It seems like he's won every other belt under the sun. Why not yours? But, yeah, I mean, just Jerry Lawler, just, it's mind-boggling how many times he's won a championship, and it's even more mind-boggling that didn't that didn't transfer over to any of the big three. So that's why I have him all the way up at number four on my list. Um, Bob. You had Jerry Lawler at number six on your list. What do you have to say about the King? If you remember, I originally had him at four, two, and then I ended up switching him last minute. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like you said, the, you mentioned all the accolades, you know, what most decorated champion, the guy is, he's still currently wrestling. Uh, he's been doing it for 51 years, started in 1970. Uh, like you said, the King of Memphis wrestling, um, 92 to 95 is when he joins the WWF. Like you said, he's feuding with Bret Hart. Uh, feuding with Roddy Piper, 
then from there they push him over to doink the clown and uh jake the snake roberts but the guy can talk his ass off one of the best talkers out there he was a fantastic heel unless you were in memphis and the guy was loved like no other um I saw a video today of just him getting punched by Bill Dundee and just him starting the Hulk up and just hearing the crowd just go ape shit uh, when he's doing that. You know, Jim Cornette posted it on, on um, Twitter today. And you just hear the crowd go nuts just by him trying to Hulk up. And it's just like it's a simple motion movement that he's doing, but he had the crowd in the palm of his hands. And, I mean, he challenged for the belt nine times. Uh, eight times for the heavyweight belt, two against uh Shawn michaels two against the miz four against bret hart the ic belt he challenged for one time against christian um like you said he could have been a, a good transitional champ um I, I always blame the mountie you know he could have been the ic champ instead of the mountie um <laughs> you know the uh Shawn michaels when Shawn michaels um loses his smile at that time who did they give the title to they gave it to shane douglas dean douglas um you know, Jerry Lawler could have had a run at the IC belt there. Uh, you know, during the time when he was at WWF, 92 to 95, when he first started coming in, at that same time, he's in USWA. He was there from 89 to 97. Like you mentioned, he won the belt of almost 30 times, and he's feuding with Eddie Gilbert, and he's feuding with Jeff Jarrett, and he's at the top of that company while he's still in the WWF. But yet, you know, here they have him feuding with Doink the Clown and, and just – Dropping the ball on that one, too. Jerry Lawler's could have been a lot more. So definitely a good pick for this list. Yeah. How about you, Adam? What do you have to say about Lawler? Consider this. At one point in time, you had Jerry Lawler and Randy Savage on your roster, and they both were doing commentary. Just let that sink in for a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just blows my mind. Again, I've used this analogy many times, but... Uh, I remember reading through wrestling magazines in the grocery store as a kid and seeing Jerry Lawler's name at the top of the USWA all the time as champion or, you know, winning the belt or holding the title. And, and you know, obviously um, we ran down all the titles, all the places he's been. You know, he, of course, uh, had mainstream exposure with all the stuff he did with Andy Kaufman back in the day, um, you know, so when I saw him in WWF, I'm like, this is a big get because, you know, he's huge everywhere else he's been and he's won titles a bunch of times. Uh, surely he's going to win belts here, right? Uh, no. Now, I, again, <laughs> uh, as, as mentioned, uh, he was obviously, uh, I won't want, I don't want to say long in the tooth, but I mean, he'd been around for a while, but I mean, uh, you're right. You know, you're moving past Hulk Hogan and, and, you know, you and a lot of guys were starting to leave because of the steroid trial and all that stuff. You know, you needed names. You needed guys who could take it, you know, keep you in business, take it to the next level, the next era. And you have a legend like Jerry Lawler on your roster and, and is documented by you guys just, you know, having him feud with clowns and, you know, and, you know, making disparaging remarks about Leslie Nielsen at SummerSlam, you know, just – this seemed like a big wasted opportunity to me. Uh, you know, I'm not taking anything away from his commentary or, you know, like, like Bob said, he, has, he had the gift of gab. He could talk his ass off. Um, you know, he always got heat whenever he was announced, you know, at, at Raw's. There was many Raw's where he just got, they booed the shit out of him, you know, or the aforementioned SummerSlam 94. 
it just you know it, it it's just one of those things that didn't make sense to me and i i can only guess that again well he made his name elsewhere and not here so you know we're gonna kind of push him into the background but uh that was the, the name i alluded to earlier in the show where I, I was doing research i'm like oh my god yeah all these years in the company and he never even had one belt not even you know not even you know like um, bob mentioned piper winning the ic belt to me that was like a lifetime achievement award for all piper had done and i feel like jerry lawler should have gotten some sort of transitional title for all he had done for the wrestling business so yeah that's that's a big puzzling one to me yeah yeah and that's why he's earned his number four spot on our list with 16 points we have jerry the king lawler all right, we're in the top three now. Let's move to number three. Number three comes in with 25 points, and he got those 25, 25 points by being number three on both Bob and Adam's list, and I had him at number two. We're talking about the enforcer, Arn Anderson, coming in at number three on our list with 25 points. Um, God, I love Arn Anderson. Who, who, the fuck, who, who doesn't love Arn Anderson? You know, if you're an old school wrestling Alistair fan, Black. what's that? Alistair Black. Yeah, well, Malachi Black. Come on, get it I, right. I apologize. Yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. He's just, you know, when I think about my childhood, he's, you know, aside from guys like Hogan and Savage and the guys in the WWF, when I when I think about t- turning over to TBS and watching WCW. Arn is like definitely one of those guys, you know, just he always I always loved watching Arn Anderson on WCW or NWA or whatever it was at that time. Um, and he was just such a great, just as great wrestler. I mean, he was known mostly as a tag wrestler, of course, um, and the majority of the championships that he held were in tag teams. Um you know, he was mostly with uh, Ole Anderson uh, and, of course, with Tully Blanchard. Uh, but it's – he – I think he was definitely worthy of being um, a solo champ and holding one of those major titles. Uh, the, the the biggest uh, run with a champ – with a solo champ – championship that he had of course was uh he had two runs with the nwa television championship which accounted for about 584 days and then he had two runs when that tag team when that television championship uh switched over and became the wcw world world television championship he had two runs with that for a total of 293 days um but like we said that the television championship while you know, a, a pretty good championship. It wasn't one of the major ones. It wasn't, you know, the cha- the world championship or the U.S. championship. It didn't hold that kind of prestige. So it was a bummer that a guy like Arn Anderson couldn't get a run with either, you know, the world championship or the U.S. championship at least. You know, I think Arn could have been a, a definite workhorse to carry that U.S. championship, but he just never – never never came around and that's why i had arn at number two i mean with just his with his uh 
you know, feel the work and the fact that it just never happened for him with one of the major championships. Yeah. I think that's why I put him at the the two slot. Um, Bob, you had Arn at the three slot. So yeah. You, what do you have to say about Arn? I love Arn Anderson. Just like you said, one of the, one of the best technical wrestlers and talkers ever. Um, For me, one, two and three on my list could have gone either way. Um, So I, I ended up going with him at three. Uh, but like you said, he could have definitely been a war course at the U.S. belt. Um, he did challenge for the, the heavyweight belt in the NWA and WCW eight times. He had Dusty once, Ronnie Garvin twice, Sting twice, and Barry Windham three times. But the U.S. belt he challenged four eleven times. Uh, Magnum TA four, Nikita Koloff six, and Lex Luger once. Um, Michael Hayes was the U.S. champ for some reason in 89 as a transitional champ. You could have you given Martin Anderson the belt there. Uh, 1990 Stan Hansen, uh, again, he was a transitional champion. Could have given it back to Arn. Um, 91 Luger wins the heavyweight title, so the title's vacant. You could have put it on Arn and have him transition it over to Sting because that's who ended up winning it. Uh, Sting won it by beating Haku. So it's like you could have had Art Anderson, who was a bigger name, obviously, than Haku. No slight on Haku, but um, same thing. Again, 92, Rick Rude gets injured. Arn Anderson could have taken the belt there and, and you know, instead of giving it just to Dustin Rhodes. Um, and again, I always mention my boy Duggan in 94. He shouldn't have had the damn belt, and neither should have the one-man gang in 95. But um, damn shame, especially when you look at his career, that he's only challenged for 19 belts. Yeah, he was a, a tag team specialist, but, you know, Arn Anderson could have done a lot. Definitely, definitely done a lot. Yeah, total, total agreement. Um, Adam, you also had Arn as uh, number three on your list. What do you have to say about him? I echo, I, I echo everything everyone said uh, with their love for Arn Anderson. Um, if if you if you were to ask me, name three WCW wrestlers. The first three names out of my mouth would be Ric Flair, Sting, and Arn would be the third name. Uh, he's just synonymous with the company, and you know, obviously. Um, past episodes we bagged on WCW and all the dumb crap they did um, but Arn Anderson is, is, was one of the shining stars that made it worth watching um, as, as mentioned just tremendous technical talent um, I love the way he delivered a promo it, it wasn't yelling it was it was calculated it was precise and it, it was just it was just badass that's there's no other way to put it he, he just he had a different approach and and, and I loved it you know, of course, having run with Flair and the Horsemen for all those years, you know, it it just blows my mind that, you know, Flair being champion, a lot of the time that Arn wasn't his number two, you know, him not having the U.S. title, that's just, that's just a crime. It really is. I, I You know, I just, I can't fathom. I mean, I, had, I, I knew he hadn't won the U.S. title, but I had to double check just to make sure because I'm like, that belt was made for a guy like that because again the secondary belts as we talked about in their championship series a lot of the times uh, a workhorse or a mechanic or a technical wrestler gets gets to run with those belts and the fact that our never did is just is just criminal um again just taylor made for him and you know now obviously he's a manager coach for AEW, and i know when he was a wrestler, so many looked up to him and, and, and still do. And, and uh, that speaks volumes, too. I, I don't know many people have anything bad to say about him. Um, just a true professional company guy. And 
maybe too nice. Maybe that I, I don't know. There's no other reason why uh, you know he didn't get a, a run, especially in WCW with the singles title. Yeah, I don't know either, but for whatever reason, he he never got that singles uh, glory that he deserved, and that's exactly why. Arn Anderson has earned his spot at number three on our list with 25 points. All right. Well, we're up to our penultimate pick, our number two pick here. Uh, number two comes in with 26 points, just above Arn Anderson. And he got those 26 points by being number three on my list and number two on both Adam and Bob's list. We're talking about the million-dollar man himself, Ted DiBiase, coming in at number two with 26 points. Um, Adam, we'll start with you. What do you have to say about Ted DiBiase? Again, kind of in the same mold as Arne Anderson, just tremendous, um, just all around, just awesome technician in the ring, uh, on the mic, just incomparable, just uh Great heel, great gimmick that Vince gave him the run with in WWF. Um, you know, um, there's a documentary his son did about him. Uh, I'm forgetting the name right now. I think it's called The Price of Fame, maybe. Um, just really delves into the character and, and how he lived it and, and what it was supposed to be. And, I mean, that was the heel in the WWF. Uh, he came in, I want to say, around 87 and just ran with it for about five years, just just being a, a loudmouth uh, jerk uh, who was rich and lorded it over people, but but he could back it up in the ring. Um, you know, of course, some would argue that that he won, that he was a WWF champion because Andre the Giant, of course, beat Hulk Hogan in the infamous Hebner incident, and he handed the belt over. But WWF doesn't recognize that as a as a title reign. So, um, but to me, again, um, talking about guys like, you know, Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, uh, you know, why didn't Rick Martel get a run with the IC title? Uh, Ted DiBiase is another one. I mean, I know he had the, the million dollar title, but that's kind of like the FTW title, you know, it's self-created belt. Um, you know, he, he, there's no reason he shouldn't have had a couple IC title runs. Uh, he just, again, he was just poetry to watch in the ring. One of the very best and, 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 and a great talker too. Just a guy to just model your own career after if you're up and coming wrestler, because, because he, he had it all and, and he knew the business, you know, it was a family business for him. So he knew the business inside and out, but you no, know, um, one of the greats as, as far as I'm concerned. And um, it's very interesting how he, he didn't get any, I mean, he, he had a run with the tag belts and, and money incorporated, but his career was already beginning to wind down. But again, just another guy that you, you could have had wear the IC belt and just steal the show night after night. Just uh, very, very interesting with that long career that, that it didn't materialize for him. Yeah, and like you said, Andre won the belt under suspicious circumstances and gave it to Ted DiBiase, but as we said, WWF doesn't recognize it because Jack Tunney uh, put the smack down on that. So, in yeah. my opinion, the title should be vacated and culminate <laughs> in a tournament at WrestleMania 4 at Trump Palace. 
Oh, that was horrible. Yeah. But, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Bob, you also had uh, Ted DiBiase as number, at number two on your list. So what do you have to say about the Million Dollar Man? Like Adam mentioned, um, you know, in the uh, in Mid-South, he was huge. Um, the NWA, he was uh, Missouri heavyweight champ. Uh, Georgia NWA, he was heavyweight champ. All Japan, he was national champ. You know, he did a lot. And then when he came over to the WWF in 87, um, you know, they gave him the gimmick. Like Adam mentioned, if Vince McMahon had a gimmick, it would be the Million Dollar Man's gimmick. Um, Super impressive, his career. But again, the fact that he never had a run with any of the belts. Uh, The NWA belt, uh, he challenged 18 times for. Um, Harley raced 12 times. Dusty Rhodes once. Ric Flair five times. The WWF heavyweight belt, the heavyweight, 68 times he challenged uh, Hogan 12 times, Savage 54 times, and the Warrior twice. The IC belt, he challenged 14 times for Pat Patterson six times, the Warrior three times, Texas Tornado twice, and Brett three times. Um, They could have given him the U.S. belt, the NWA heavyweight belt. You know, they gave it to Giant Baba on 79 um, as a transitional belt. You know, that could have been one belt for, for DiBiase there. Uh, for some reason, in 81, they gave the belt to Tommy Rich. Could have been DiBiase. Uh, 87, our boy Ronnie Garvin was using his stomp everywhere, but DiBiase could have had the belt there. Um, <laughs> 79, uh, Pat Patterson lost the belt to Ken Patera. It could have been DiBiase instead of, you know, because at that time he's feuding with him. Uh, so it could have been him there. Um in 1990, you know, again, DiBiase is one of the big heels that you have on the roster. Oh, um, the Warrior wins the uh, the heavyweight championship. He vacates the IC belt. You could have given him to it there. Um, you know, the our, our boy, the Texas Tornado, he was feuding with him. He could have taken it off of him. And then, like I said, I always like to mention my boy, the Mountie. He didn't deserve a damn run with it. But um, definitely dropped the ball on Ted DiBiase. Fantastic talker, fantastic worker, just as equivalent to Arn Anderson, like we said, in the ring, on the mic. Um, just damn shame we never got it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the common theme. You know, there's damn shames that these guys never had runs with the belt, even though they're they're really deserving. And Ted, Ted DiBiase is right up there with everybody. I mean, it's, he's just a, you know, second-generation wrestler, great just ta- just hell of a worker in the ring you know he, he was like you know we talked about guys being a total package ted dibiase was a total package he he had the personality he had the charisma he had the look and he had the ability you know he, everything you ever wanted in a professional wrestler you had in ted dibiase and you know that heel character that million dollar man character you know just that that could could have worked so well as a heel transition champion you know but they didn't do it you know just, like i said you know boss man could have been that guy ted dibiase easily could have been that guy um they tried to you know like i said with the whole andre the giant thing and then the the tournament at wrestlemania 4 but for whatever reason they didn't go that way they decided to do the tournament and while dibiase was in the finals with savage he didn't win it and that was about as close as he ever got to the to the championship you know and 
even with him not being the champion, he, he definitely could have gotten the IC belt at least, you know? I mean, Ted DiBiase could have been a hell of a workhorse IC champion, but yeah, whatever reason just wasn't in the cards. Another missed opportunity, and yeah, that's why Ted DiBiase firmly in number two on our list with 26 points. All right, well, that will bring us to our top pick. But before we get our top pick, like we do every week, let's go over our honorable mentions. Like I said at the top of the show, these uh, next five picks are uh, picks that didn't have enough points to make our top 10, but they did get enough points to at least get a mention. So let's start with our first honorable mention, what would have been number 11 on our list. Um, Comes in with five and a half points. Uh, Same as Junkyard Dog, but there's a tiebreaker here because this particular uh, wrestler only appeared on two of our lists, whereas Junkyard Dog appeared on all three. Um, So this wrestler got five and a half points from being one of Bob's honorable mentions, and he showed up all the way up at number six on Adam's list. We're talking about the body, Jesse Ventura, coming in at number 11, our first honorable mention. Adam, you had uh, Jesse Ventura at number six on your list, so let's start with you. What do you have to say about the body? Well, we were talking about uh, Paul Orndorff earlier and how he and Matt Piper main evented WrestleMania one against Hogan. Um, they could have easily been Jesse Ventura. Uh, Jesse Ventura hates Hulk Hogan. Um, I don't think he'd, he'd hold that fact back whatsoever. Just not a fan of Hulk Hogan. Um, uh, this is a case again of injury, unfortunately impeding, uh, what could have been, um, you know, Jesse already was kind of banged up. Uh, he, he did wrestle Hogan in 84, uh, lost to him three times, um, but he had blood clots in his lungs, so obviously can't continue to wrestle. Um, but uh, again, uh, most people, especially from our generation, know Jesse from his brilliant color work with the WWF after he had to retire for about a five, six-year period. Then he, then he had some time in WCW doing commentary as well. He just... Again, talk about a guy with the gift of gab, a guy who who knew how to, you know, dry heat, uh, make people dislike him, but you kind of liked him at the same time because he was so clever. Um, but but uh, that's kind of why I put him so high because I think, you know, had he not uh, unfortunately had to have his career cut short, uh, uh, he could have been the guy who had some long runs with Hogan and, and maybe even, uh, you know, depending on which direction he wanted to go, he could have been the guy who took the belt off Hogan and and uh, they could have had big-time matches all over the country. Um, again, blurring the, the lines of uh, reality and, and kayfabe, uh, you know, uh, Jesse legitimately resents and dislikes Hogan, and I don't think Hogan thinks much of him either. So that would have been a real interesting what-if uh, had Jesse not... Uh, Get his career cut short. Obviously, too, they uh, they were in the AWA together, also. Um, so again, um, just uh, always knew how to rile the fans up, and, and was just one of the most talented and creative minds on on the microphone. Um, he's obviously used that to get him to where he is today. Obviously, he's he's done other things since leaving the wrestling business. Uh, a few major political uh, things going on, so. Um, just tremendous 
personality and and uh it's another case of you know what if hitting up and injured so that's like jesse's at number six for me yeah well bob you had him as an honorable mention you have anything to add about jesse ventura yeah he was another one that you know we we talked before in the past about great talkers and superstar billy graham how we talked about him in the past you know jesse had that same similarities where he was a fantastic talker uh, a great look a great heel um you know and the fact that he never got a shot well he he challenged bob backland 10 times and hogan 14 times for the heavyweight title but uh icy belt uh three times again pedro morales and six times against tito santana um again tito santana i mentioned earlier the the perfect baby face and and jesse ventura would have been the perfect foil for him too how he never got the belt off of tito during those six times that they wrestled against each other tito had two reigns i mean he could have been one of the ones to take the belt off of him they could have done really well with it at that time because jesse would have been a great intercontinental champion uh he could talk his ass off like i said and he, he, he was that dastardly heel that you just wanted to go up against and and boo and um you know he was another one that just dropped the ball and uh, like adam said his career was cut short because of the blood clots he only wrestled for 20 years but um prior to coming over the awa he was their southern champ heavyweight champ twice and he was their tag champ so could have done a lot with jesse ventura but unfortunately it didn't happen no but he did earn enough in his career to get to number 11 on our list our first honorable mention jesse the body ventura Coming in with five and a half points. All right, let's move to our second honorable mention. Coming in with four points. Uh, got those four points from being number nine on both my list and Adam's list. We're talking about the Dynamite Kid. The Dynamite Kid coming in at number 12 on our list. Um, Adam, you had uh, Dynamite Kid at number nine. Let's start with you. What do you have to say about him? Uh, kind of like I mentioned with Brian Pillman earlier, Um and obviously he just had his own uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode air uh, not too long ago. Uh, Dynamite was another one who was kind of wrong place, wrong time. Um, you know, <laughs> despite his personal struggles, which were documented in the, uh, in the show, which are very unfortunate. Uh, if you look purely at, at the wrestling side of it, uh, the guy was smaller um, and he had a... a he had, a, he had a distinctive style. He just he bumped like crazy. He's, uh, he he was just he was the guy who who kind of you know Chris Benoit uh, always cited him as as a you know one of his inspirations and, and guys like that and and Chris Jericho, Mick Foley, they, guys like that just all had the utmost respect for Dynamite and how he worked and and uh, how he put on a match a lot of those stampede guys just just amazing workers you know obviously Bret Hart and Davey Boy Smith and Owen Hart and and Dynamite just uh again just tremendous technical workers just just knew how to get the most you know they gave the crowd their money's worth and again um you know his size, he was a victim of his size, really. I mean, obviously the successful tag team with the British Bulldogs with Davey Boy Smith, but never got the singles run of the WWF. Uh, obviously he had a lot of backstage issues, which was documented in the in the series as well. But, uh, you know, the, just just the impact that he had on 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 uh, wrestling and the amount of talent he had was, was just overlooked at the time because he just, he didn't fit the profile of what... Uh, 
people like Vince McMahon thought a champion should look like. But I mean, again, um, we've talked about the icy belt quite a bit. Quite a bit. If if he was a solo, uh, he would have put on a lot of great matches with a lot of guys. So, Icy champ because again a lot of the a lot of those champions uh you know they had the more exciting the more uh, thrilling matches because Hogan could only you know he wasn't obviously a technical uh, wizard as as champion as world champion so um, again just the victim of, of the time period and uh, and some demons he was he was wrestling with but but dynamite made his impact and it's it's too bad he didn't have a title to show for it. No, yeah, I mean, it's, like you said, talk about a guy that was ahead of his time, man. He was a trailblazer when it comes to smaller wrestlers, like smaller, what we would call cruiserweights. Um, You know, just Dynamite Kid was, I mean, his name fit him. He was Dynamite. He was just, just a, you know, not very big guy, but he was, he was quick. He was agile. He was, you know, he could go he can be a, a mat technician or, you know, a high flyer, just like, you know, the matches he had in stampede were, were great. The, you know, he had, when he came into the WWF and, you know, challenged for the, the their junior heavyweight championship at the time, you know, he, he had some ma- uh, matches with a uh, tiger mask that were phenomenal. And, you know, he was, and he wasn't without, you know, his runs outside of uh, the big three. You know, he had, he was, uh, you know, a Stampede North American heavyweight champion. He was British lightweight champion, British welterweight champion. He held the Stampede mid heavyweight championship four times. You know, so he had some single success outside of his most famous uh, run, which was with uh, Davy Boy Smith and the British Bur- and the British Bulldogs. But you know, I just think that. He was just like you was like you kind of said, Adam. He was just a victim of his time a little bit. He just was a small guy in a in a big man's world, and he just didn't get the uh, the opportunity to really show what he could do as a so as a solo wrestler up on the level of the WWF. So, yeah, it, that's always. I think that'll always be a a what if you know what if Vince had actually given him a shot with those with uh like an IC belt and see what he can do in matches with guys like uh, Ricky Steamboat or Savage or, you know, whatever. But, you know, hey, we're, it's one of those questions that we're never going to know the answer to, and that's unfortunate. But, yeah, Dynamite Kid, I think, t- definitely deserves to be on the list, and I'm happy he's there as an honorable mention with four points. All right. Our next honorable mention, number 13 on our list, comes in with one and a half points, and he got those one and a half points by being a unanimous honorable mention on all three of our lists. We are talking about Chris Candido coming in at number 13 on our list, again, with one and a half points. Uh, Bob, we'll start out with you. What do you have to say about Chris Candido? Um, <clears throat> he wrestled in the business for 19 years, uh, from 90, uh, from 86 to 2005. He was a WWF tag champ once WCW cruiserweight champ, um, Smoky mountain champ. And then he, he ended up winning the NWA belt, but that was when, uh, Shane Douglas, uh, threw it in the trash. Uh, so he ended up winning the tournament after that. But, um, 
ECW tag champ three times. Uh, we knew him in ECW. That's where he first got his start. He was a tag champ there with the Suicide Blonde stable that he had. Um, went over to Smoky Mountain. And then in 95, 96, that's when we get him in the WWF has uh, the Body Donnas. Uh, him and um, Tom Pritchard, correct? I think he was the other one. Oh. Zip. Zip. Um, so they, they have him feud with the uh, Tony's boy, Barry Horowitz. And um, the Smoking Guns. Sure. They, win the te- they win the belts from the Godwins. Uh, and then he leaves. He goes back to ECW. That's when he joins the Triple Threat Stable with Douglas and Bigelow. Uh, he wins the tag belts with Shane uh, Lance Storm. And then he leaves in March of 2000. Debuts for WCW. He wins their Cruiserweight belt. And then July of 2000, four months later, he's gone. Um, joins TNA Impact in 2005. Breaks his legs. And unfortunately, he uh, passes away soon after. But... ECW, like the, Chris Candido was was a great wrestler. He could talk really well too, and I always liked his no gimmicks necessary, uh, no gimmicks needed gimmick. Um, you know, he, he had a, a great mouthpiece with him too, with with Sonny. You know, who would get the heat as well. But uh, he challenged for the ECW Heavyweight Title eighteen times, Bigelow three times, Taz four times, Terry Funk once, the TV Title nine times, RVD twice, and Taz seven times. Um. It would have been hard because at that time, you know, RVD had just a huge stranglehold on that on that TV belt. That was not going to go anywhere. Um, but before that, you know, when he was big in 93, when he had first started, um, Jimmy Snuka was champ. He could have beaten Jimmy Snuka for the belt. Uh, the Pitbull number two was the TV champ. Uh, he could have beat him in 96 when he came back uh, and taken over and then instead they give it to Chris Jericho. Uh, you know, he could have been a transitional champ there. But I never really saw Chris Candido as a heavyweight champion in ACW, but definitely, uh, you know, a TV champion. I think he really don't, he would have done really, really well as a TV champ. Yeah, I, I agree. He, Like you said, he was a workhorse, could do great things in the ring. I think he definitely could have could have gotten you know especially in ecw i think you know, like you said rvd had a stranglehold on the the television championship but i think that could have been a perfect championship for a guy like candido you know just a you know a workhorse any kind of workhorse belt be it you know mm-hmm. you know I, I i didn't see him breaking out of the body donnas uh enough to get an ic run but you Not know yeah so his his thing would have been ECW, but like you said, because you know Van Dam had such a grip on that on that television championship, you know it would have been almost impossible for him to get a run. But it would have been nice to see. It would have been nice to see because Chris Candido definitely was a very talented uh, wrestler. Uh, how about you, Adam? What do you have to say about Candido? Yeah, I, I would venture to not disagree, but you know. Had certain people in the WWF uh, had brains at that time. Um, they might have caught some lightning in the bottle with Candido. Obviously, he, uh, you know, his reputation preceded him coming in, um, and, and they did that ridiculous gimmick. And you know, just hearing Bob talk about uh, how uh, winning the belts from the Godwins and, and the smoking guns, it's like, God, they suck back then. I, <laughs> It just it, the roster was very thin. He had a capable guy who was capable of a lot of things. He showed that, uh, especially uh, early in his career and in ECW, as we mentioned. And and, and talk about dropping the ball, just 
uh, again, poor Tom Pritchard too. I mean, he was a longtime veteran who who uh, wrestled with Waller in Memphis quite a bit, and and they turned him into a body Donna too. It's just uh, I don't know who was smoking what at Titan Tower at the time, but again, just you know, waste wasted talent, wasted opportunity. Um, I agree. Um, in terms of the TV belt, there's no way at that time uh, when RVD was reigning, he would have had that. But I mean, again, uh, just I, I love the, the very underrated calling him no gimmicks needed because after what he went through in the WWF, again, that's what was so wonderful to me about ECW. Uh, your, your talent, your wrestling talent spoke for itself. You didn't need a, a, a crazy gimmick to get over. Um, and yeah, he had a lot of great matches and he could have helped out some struggling promotions. You know, Bob mentioned he went to WCW and, and won the cruiserweight title and then just disappeared. I don't know if that had to do with personal issues or not, but I, I, again, WCW struggling. There's a guy who could help you out, put on some good matches and they do nothing with him either. So, um, ECW is really where he had the chance to shine and he, and he did the best he could, but, uh, Unfortunately, just there just wasn't room for him at the at the top of the card at the time. No, and you know, like I said, it's a damn shame. But he does go with some recognition by us at least. He's number thirteen on our list, our third honorable mention. Chris Candido, a unanimous honorable mention, coming in with one and a half points. All right, let's go to number fourteen on our list. Number fourteen. Uh, our fourth honorable mention also comes in at one and a half points, but uh, loses the tiebreaker to Candido because he only showed up on two of our lists. Uh, this pick got their one and a half points by being one of my honorable mentions, and he was number 10 on Bob's list. We're talking about Gorilla Monsoon coming in mm-hmm. at number 14, our fourth honorable mention here with one and a half points. Uh, Bob, you had him in the top 10, so we'll start with you. What do you have to say about Gorilla Monsoon? I was wondering if he would have made it. That was, that's pretty cool. Um, 1957 to 1983, Gorilla Monsoon wrestled for 26 years. Uh, WWF, WWF US tag champ twice. Um, but in 63 is when he came over, and he was one of the company's biggest heels at that time. Um, you know, he was the main... Uh, heel for Bruno Santa Martino. You know, they would sell out arenas everywhere. Um, and him and Killer Kowalski teamed up and they defeated San Martino and Victor Rivera to be the first ever team to ever defeat them. Um, and then eventually he turned face and he started feuding with superstar Billy Graham. Then he turns heel again in 77, starts feuding with Andre. And then 1980, he puts his career on the line uh, versus Ken Patera and he ends up being an announcer. But um, at that time, he challenged Bruno San Martino for the heavyweight title 49 times, Superstar Billy Graham three times, Bob Backlund once, and then Ken Patera for the IC belt twice. Um, I never saw Gorilla Monsoon as an IC champ, but he could have definitely been, um, you know, a, a heavyweight champ. You know, he could have beaten uh, Buddy Rogers, and, uh, you know, Bruno could have been the one to take the belt off of him. Uh, he could have been the one that. To, to break Bruno's streak in 71 instead of, uh, you know, Koloff or um, even, you know, uh, 
be the guy to beat up Pedro Morales instead of Stan Stasiak in 73. You know, he could have had definitely a run with the heavyweight belt and he never got a chance to. Um, so, you know, that's, that kind of surprised me, especially since how, how big of a heel he was at that time, you know. Um, I think there was even an instant when, like, a fan went after him and hit him with, like, a wooden chair in the back. That's just how hated he was, especially going up against the beloved Bruno. So, um, good to talk about Gorilla Monsoon on this list. Yeah, I totally agree with you. He could have been a hell of a heel champ, you know, even if it's just like a transitional one. Because I know in the 70s, we all know Bruno had the, uh, you know, the stranglehold on the belt. But like you said, I I don't think that could have, I don't think there would have been a problem with him taking the belt off of Bruno instead of Koloff. You know, I think Gorilla Monsoon was just as big, if not, you know, bigger of a heel at that point than than Koloff was but for whatever reason they decided to go that way but you know Monsoon everybody you know of course especially guys our age know him more as a as a commentator you know he was the voice of the WWF there in the 80s and early 90s um but you know it's a it's a damn shame that his uh his in ring his in ring career is kind of overlooked, uh, mm-hmm. just because of what he was able to do, uh, on the mic during the heyday of uh the WWF when it became national, um yeah and then of course you got to remember you know Gorilla Monsoon was the guy who uh, famously wrestled Muhammad Ali in that mm-hmm. uh, exhibition match that they had. So it's not like Monsoon was, you know, some obscure character. He was a major part of professional wrestling at that time. And I think the fact that he didn't get some kind of run with a belt was, you know, just a damn shame. And I think, you know, he definitely could have uh, been a monster heel champ uh, if given the opportunity. So, yeah. That's why I had him as an honorable mention, and that's why he comes in with one and a half points at number 14 on our list, uh, Gorilla Monsoon. All right, and let's get to our last honorable mention here. Our last honorable mention comes in with one point, and he gets that one point because he was an honorable mention on both my list and Adam's list. We are talking about Big John Studd coming in as an honorable mention number five, our fifth honorable mention number 15 on our list. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. You had him as an honorable mention. What do you have to say about Big John Studd? We kind of kicked the show off with um, uh, Junkyard Dog um, at number 10. And um, Big John Studd's one of the first uh, wrestlers I remember seeing. I think he was potentially in the uh the hogan cartoon too but uh i remember seeing him on on television and like whoa this dude is no sorry all i could say is this dude is big (laughs) and uh yeah he was just he was a sight and he was and he was a great attraction um you know he had some great storylines with uh you know he teamed with king kong bundy uh he feuded with uh, and they feuded with andre the giant uh, body slam challenge um just uh he was in the wrestlemania 2 battle royal uh, he was just he was just again he was an andre was the attraction but big john stud was was another attraction he was just 
he's just a, a unique looking guy and and he really stood out to me as a kid um he won the first royal rumble i remember watching that and and being surprised at that but uh again um he was one of the wwe's biggest names in the early to to late 80s and again obviously hogan had a stranglehold on the belt at the time but uh you know, again, you just never know if he would have went in a different direction. Someone like uh, Big John Studd could have been a transitional champion, I think, too. Uh, obviously, formidable challenger for a guy like Hogan, someone who was bigger than Hogan. You know, Hogan liked to wrestle giants, and, and that was another one. So um, I was kind of surprised to see that uh, he didn't uh, win a belt because, again, he was a big name uh, in his heyday. Yeah, yeah, Stud was uh, definitely one of the bigger uh, heels, monster heels there in the uh, in the early to mid '80s. There, I think the only real run he had with a belt in the WWF was uh, as one of the executioners. Uh, he had he had a tag run as as a execution. I don't know if he was executioner number one or executioner number two, but he was part of that tag team. Um, but I think that's really the only gold he had as far as the WWF was concerned, which is surprising considering, like you said, how big of a heel and uh, how big of a personality he was in WWF at that time. Um, of course, he uh, he had famous feuds with Andre the Giant. Um, you know, he won the Royal Rumble that one time, like you said, but back then, you know, winning the Royal Rumble was just something you could put on your resume. It didn't get you a, uh, a a title shot the way it does today so you know it was that royal rumble victory was more symbolic than anything um yeah i mean big john stud uh i always liked him you know i i, I loved the matches that he had with uh with andre i loved uh you know, the the mini feud he had with Refrigerator Perry at WrestleMania two during that battle royal. You know, he was a he was an entertaining wrestler. Um and while I d I don't think his career warranted um you know at you know any kind of major uh title runs, you know, like nothing like too drastic, I think he definitely, you know, could have been a monster heel transition champ in the era of Hogan, but that wasn't going to happen. So yeah, I am really, uh, really kind of psyched that John stud made our list with one point here being an honorable mention on both me and Adam's list. So there you go. And let's not, let's not forget. He was in Harley Davidson on the Marlboro man. Also. That's right. That's right. His, uh, his Oscar, Oscar nominated turn and, uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro man. Um, but yeah, there you go. Big John stud coming in at number 15 on our list, our fifth and last honorable mention for this list. All right. Well, that brings us to number one, everybody. And it should not be a surprise what number one is to any of us, uh, here on the enhancement talent who made this list because, our number one was a unanimous number one. All three of us had this particular wrestler number one on our lists coming in with a perfect 30 points. Of course, we are talking about Jake the Snake Roberts coming in at number one on our list of enhancement talent top 10 wrestlers. 
<laughs> top 10 wrestlers who never won a major championship in the big three. Um, Bob, let's start out with you. What do you have to say about Jake Roberts, uh, our top pick here at number one? He, he's. I think when we came up with the idea of this this list, he was the one that just popped into my head immediately. Um, you know, Adam mentioned earlier how he loved when Arn Anderson would talk. Jake the Snake Roberts was just as great as Arn Anderson. Never really yelled. He would accentuate the words when he had to. It was just always a soft spoken, but the way he did it, you know, you were just glued to the TV every time the man spoke. Um, just fantastic wrestler, short arm clothesline, his punches, his, uh, his DDT, obviously. You know, he, he's one of the best to ever do it, to never get a belt. Um, you know, he wrestled through Mid-South, Mid-Atlantic, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Stampede. He was champs all over the place there, feuding with the Junkyard Dog, Ronnie Garvin, Dick Slater. And then in 86, he jumps over to the WWF. Uh, they give him Steamboat immediately. And uh, that's when he DDT'd Steamboat on the, on the, the concrete. Uh, so now he's got immediate heat, you know, and again, just one of the best on the mic. So you give him Savage, you give him Hogan. He uh, He's wrestling Hogan as a top heel, and the crowd starts cheering for him to DDT Hogan. So now they had to, to nix those plans because they don't want him to go over as a face, especially going up against Hogan. So, you know, the they, they had to cancel all the feuds from there. So then they give him, turn him a uh, good guy, and they give him the Honky Tonk Man and Rick Rude and um, – Andre the Giant, DiBiase. Um, I, I'll always remember the 1990, the Bad News Brown, the Sewer Rats, you know, and we mentioned Rick Martell earlier as well. Um, WCW in 92, he's immediately given Sting, you know. It's like just thrown right into there, and here's here's our top guy. You get Sting. Um, then he comes back in 96. That's when he has the, uh, the Born Again Christian gimmick. Uh, feuding with Austin at the King of the Ring. You got Jerry Lawler, 97. He shows up in ECW. He's with Tommy Dreamer for a bit. But NWA heavyweight champion. He goes up for five times. Once against Harley Race, four against Flair. The U.S. belt, six times against Sergeant Slaughter. Heavyweight title, three times against Hogan. And then 17 times the IC belt. Savage, six. Honky Tonk Man, seven. Perfect one. And I was surprised. Triple H, he wrestled for the IC belt three times. Um, easily could have been IC, IC champ, especially when Honky Tonk Man was a champ. We've heard the stories before. Uh, he was supposed to get the belt, but then he got hurt. Um, easily could have been the U.S. belt uh, champion when Slaughter was a champion. He was feuding with him. Instead, they gave him the, uh, the belt to Wahoo McDaniel. He had two reigns uh, in 82. That could have been Jake Roberts' position. Um just one of the best to ever do it, and the fact that he never got a like uh, at least the icy belt is just astonishing. It's just like wow, um, yeah, definitely a, a solid number one overall. Yep. How about you, Adam? What do you have to say about Jake Roberts? Um, I I echo everything Bob said. Just just the uh, amazing talker. Um, again. Um, We've talked about guys like Brian Pillman and Dynamite Kid and Jake Roberts will never, you know, be in the same ballpark in terms of that. But the psychology behind the matches, um, you don't have to fly around the <laughs> ring to find a great match. You just have to, 
you just have to work that crowd and 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 and, and work the match to make it compelling, make people want to watch, to get people emotionally involved. And if you did it better than Jake Roberts, as far as I'm concerned, um, I you know the WWE had the the recent um, set of biographies. Uh, I was sorry, it was Dark Side of the Ring on the Ultimate Warrior, and uh, I, I couldn't help but laugh. Um, Bob mentioned earlier about. Jake uh, getting the feud with Hogan, but he was too over, so the fans cost him potentially made event money for that. Um, Jake was supposed to have a heel run with Ultimate Warrior, and uh, Warrior pulled his uh, his thing at SummerSlam, where uh, where he held Vince McMahon up, uh, threatened to not go out out and perform, and once Vince gave him half a million dollars, so um, Jake tells the story about Warrior running through the curtain, chasing after the Iron Sheik, and McMahon firing him right when he got through the curtain and looking at Jake and saying, you're the, luck, the unluckiest son of a bitch I've ever seen in my entire life. Because it seemed every time Jake was going to get that big push or that big main event run, uh, something happened. You know, obviously he had his struggles in life too. Um, Bob mentioned he came to WCW, got in this feud with Sting, and um, to hear Jake tell it, uh, Bill Watts uh, did not like Jake and, wanted to get rid of him and thought he was paid way too much money to come in. So that fizzled out uh, that, that uh, for a long time, um, the, the infamous coal miners glove match against sting was WCW's highest grossing pay-per-view fans wanted to see Jake, the snake Roberts versus sting. I mean, despite not winning any belts, he just, he had this connection with the fans that was just undeniable and I'm sure people would have paid money to see him as a champion, be it any of the big four belts we mentioned. So, um, yeah, just uh, I guess he gets, you know, he's a legend to be sure. And I guess the biggest, uh, he stands out even more because he never, he never got that gold, but he certainly deserved it. Yeah, he, he definitely did. And yeah, I mean, just like you, you guys said it all like just how over he was how great he was in the ring the psychology the the mic skills everything he just brought everything to the table and the fact that he never won even the ic belt is just a damn shame you know and yeah jake roberts i mean say what you will about him i know like we said he had his struggles he had uh you know his addiction problems and whatnot but in that in that you know era where he was at the top of his game, he definitely I thought could have been a mon- just a a great heel IC IC champ. You mm-hmm. know, even not I mean he didn't even have to be a heel. He could have been a face too. Yeah. He was just he was that he was that over. You know, he he could have been a great uh, face. Uh, IC champ as well. You know, I know, you know, Hogan played politics, you know, wasn't going to work for him, brother, as far as uh, Jake winning the belt. But, you know, he definitely could have been a workhorse IC champ. And I think he should have. But, hey, doesn't shake out that way as we've seen all throughout this list. So I think um, as far as as far as that goes, you know, just guys who really should have been uh, a top 
champ but never were i think jake roberts embodies that uh that's why he's a unanimous number one on our list with 30 points there we go jake roberts number one on the enhancement talent top 10 wrestlers who never won a major championship in the big three all right well that's our list uh before we leave here let's go back through our top 10 we'll start at number 10 here um at number 10, with five and a half points, we have the Junkyard Dog. At number nine, with six and a half points, we had Cesaro. At number eight, with also with six and a half points, but getting the tiebreaker, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. At number seven, with seven points, we had Rick Martel. At number six, with eight points, we had Samoa Joe. At number five, we had a tie, each wrestler getting 14 points with Brian Pillman and the Big Boss Man. At number four, we had, with 16 points, we have Jerry the King Waller. At number three, with 25 points, is the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. At number two, with 26 points, we have the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and as we just said, our number one, our unanimous number one, with a perfect 30 points, Jake the Snake Roberts. So, yeah, there we go. That's our list. Uh, Bob, how do you feel about this list? Do you think it's a good representation of guys who just never got that top shot in the big three? Yeah, I, I definitely do feel that way. Um, the uh, it's fun because a lot of these people. That was the first time I think we've ever mentioned the Big John Stud or Gorilla Monsoon. Um, you know Jesse the Body Ventura we talked about before, but the Junkyard Dog or Jerry Lawler, you know Rick Martell, stuff like that. That we get to talk about these people who definitely deserve it because we we talk about the mid carters, but these guys were more than mid carters. They were like just a right above that cusp of should have been champs. But like I said, that's why we made this list. But the other astonishing thing is we talked about 16 wrestlers here and I just noticed that eight of them are already dead. And that's kind of sad. Um, you know, that just pops all right immediately. Yeah. But um, yeah, definitely a, a good list, a fun list to, to come up with. Um, enjoyed this episode. Yeah. How about you, Adam? What are your feelings on the list? Yeah. When, when, you're running it down, and when I was assembling my own list, I thought, boy, this would be a pretty kick-ass uh, company if all these guys were, were in it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, that's kind of fun to think about, just, you know, what would happen if all these guys were in one league, who'd, who'd rise to the top kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it is good to discuss some folks that uh, that don't get enough mentions sometimes. Um, you know, again... Unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, be it politics, be it uh, you know what, who, what kind of wrestler you are during what era, it just didn't work out for these guys. So it's good to give them the recognition they deserve because all these guys are tremendous and, and, and legends. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. Hope you guys enjoyed that list. We had fun compiling it, and yeah, there we go. All right. Well. Before we leave, guys, we like we do every week, let's have our match of the week picks. Uh, like we do every week, uh, Adam, Bob, and I 
pick a match that uh, you, the listener, can watch and enjoy in the meantime, in between time, before we give you our next episode. Um, Adam, as a welcome back to the show, let's have you go first. What's your match of the week? I'll, I, I'll do uh, my one and two. Um, WrestleMania six, Jake the Snake Roberts versus Ted DiBiase for the illustrious million dollar belt. Uh, Jake cuts a tremendous promo at the beginning, and Mean Gene's response to it is is priceless. And again, two of uh, two of the best wrestlers never to wear a, a championship in the WWF. Uh, going at it, check that out. Nice. How about you, Bob? What's your match of the week pick this week? With uh, with Paul Orndorff passing away, unfortunately, um, I decided to do one in memory of him, and that is uh, Saturday night's main event, Steel Cage, the old school blue cage from January of 87. That's Paul Orndorff against Hulk Hogan. Uh, if you remember, that's the one where they both climb out of the cage and land at the same time. Uh, so they have to restart the match, but that was, that's one of my favorite cage matches, and uh, in honor of Paul Orndorff, I, I have to put it as my number one tonight. Yeah, that's a good pick. I I totally remember that one. I remember watching that one as it was as it was as it was airing. That's yeah. that's an awesome pick, man. Um, my match of the week uh, is going to you know run the theme here of guys on our list. Um, I'm going to go with our number two pick, Ted DiBiase. And uh, the final match of that tournament at WrestleMania 4 for the belt, him against Savage in that uh, WrestleMania 4 main event. Um, You know, it wasn't that WrestleMania wasn't the greatest. And, you know, given the fact that it was uh, the final of a tournament, the match itself, you know, could have been better, I guess. But just to see Ted DiBiase and, you know, Savage 2, just uh, get together for the the big belt was really cool to watch back then, and it's still cool to watch now. You know, just two guys who aren't Hulk Hogan in the the mid to late eighties fighting for the WWF belt. I thought was really cool. So, yeah, that's my match of the week. Uh, the final of the uh, heavyweight championship tournament at WrestleMania Four between DiBiase and Savage. So, yeah. That's our match of the week picks. So there we go. That's another episode of the Enhancement Channel. I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, to get in touch with us, you, of course, you can. Uh, there's two ways. You can shoot us an email. Uh, our email address is enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Again, that's enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Or you can do like a lot of people have been doing lately and get in touch with us on our Facebook fan page. Uh, Just look us up on Facebook, the Enhancement Talent, and uh, click to join the group. Adam, Bob, and I are all admins, so anything that you type in or request on 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 the page, we will see and we will respond to. So, yeah, just uh, looking forward to hearing from you guys again. All right. Like I said, thanks again for listening. This has been another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. So for the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kalavik, and for the other half of the fabulous Lopez Cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez, I'm Tony Lopez, and we will see you guys next time. Have a safe week. Later. Good night.